Welcome to the Dear Doc Podcast, where we will discuss the business of running a dental practice with a panel of experts. Now, your host, Dr. Christopher Hoffpower. Hey guys, and welcome to the Dear Doc Podcast. This is your host, Dr. Christopher Huffpower, coming to you again from my studio here in Alvin, Texas. Now today, I have a little bit of a different guest. Now, in general, we tend to interview people who are directly involved in dentistry, but I think you guys are going to understand very quickly why we are introducing Mr. Mark Willis. Now, Mark, you are a man on a, on a mission to make people think a little bit differently about their money. You are a certified financial planner and also a best-selling author. Um, I, uh, I, I, I have uh, seen a couple of your books there. I, I'm intrigued by the title of one. It's the uh, How to Become an Amazon Legend and Become Your Own Banker. And Becoming My Own Banker is something I have, um, have long believed was one of the keys to freedom. So first of all, if you don't mind, introduce yourself. Talk to us a little bit about your uh, history. How did you get into this and why should people listen to you? What makes you an expert? Well, thank you, Christopher. And you're right. There's a, there's a lot of financial infotainers out there. And I think even more financial professionals of various degrees. And, uh, you know, sometimes the the, um, the analogy holds true. I wouldn't want to just have anyone working on the teeth in my mouth and similarly, there's a, there's a lot of people out there who shouldn't be in, in our heads when it comes to financial advice. Right. Uh, my own background didn't start in finance at all. In fact, the, the, uh, the first time I was even really aware of finances to, to a great degree as a young child was when my mom took me with $50 in a paper bag down to the local bank to open up a savings account. And Christopher, I was, I was concerned to give this stranger all of my hard-earned cash $50 or whatever. Uh, and uh, little did I know that the paper bag may have been more secure than the bank as Absolutely. I came to learn about fractional reserve banking and more. Oh, you um, and I are going to have lots of, of fun talking then. Uh, you know, I, it's, <laughs> it, it's funny. Um, you are actually a certified financial planner and you are a actual fiduciary. And one of the things that we kind of talked a little bit about off camera, first of all, was that a lot of people, they hand their money over to people who have no legal responsibility to make sure they get a good outcome. Or, or to try their best to make sure that the that the that the customer gets a good outcome. Talk to us a little bit about what a fiduciary is and why it is that you should be looking for like a CFP or something like that. You know, see, it's all labels, you know, fiduciary, CFP. Uh, it still comes down to trust. It all still stems from the human relationship of trust, and you know, we're just codifying that trust with certain labels. And I think good labels make good outcomes. I mean, I look for USDA organic because I want a certain outcome in my food. You know, the words all natural don't mean a whole lot. In well, fact, there's no regulation. Is natural. Um, you yeah, know, lead is that's natural. right. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. Now I will also say there are still bad apples, even with the words fiduciary after their name. So that's not a cure all. Right. Uh, I, if I remember a certain Bernie Madoff was a fiduciary uh, just legally. So you still have to look and do your due diligence. The, the four most dangerous words in the financial vocabulary are do it for me. Do it for me. Abdication, I think, is the biggest risk in your portfolio. That doesn't mean you have to become a stock picker. It doesn't mean you have to be the next Warren Buffett. But you have to get your hands a little dirty with your money. No one should care more about your money than you do. And now, when it comes either. to food, Yes, sir. Yeah, that's right. That's right. That's, that's exactly right. Uh, now, when it comes to fiduciary, when it comes to certified financial planner, I went for that designation because I wanted to establish trust in the marketplace and to honestly get my own feet wet. You know, I didn't grow up learning about dynastic trusts. You know, I, I wasn't privileged enough to do that, I suppose. So it was a great mountain for me to climb. It took me about three years to get that designation. And I loved every minute of it. It was difficult as heck to get through. But, uh, you know, some people really loved that experience. And I was one of the weird ones, I guess. Uh, and I'd say anybody who wants it to come on, let's do it. I think there needs to be more certified financial planners out there. There's just not enough um, good advice going around. Now, you don't have to work with a CFP necessarily, but that's just it just shows that you value your own money and your own financial journey uh, to work with people who are 
pushing themselves hard enough to get that credential as well. Well, one of the things that um, I am very known for saying uh, in our groups um, is, is that when you are planning and you should begin planning your future the moment you begin making money. Um, but honestly, actually, you should begin planning the moment you begin making debt. Um, but um, yeah, that's a good way to put that. You know, you need a CPA who is not a taxpayer. You need a CPA who is a tax strategist. Um, you need a lawyer who is familiar with tax laws, and you need a financial and um, and estate planner. Really, um, you know, mm-hmm. you say that, and it, people are like, "Well, I'm not in estate. I, you know, I just want to leave some money." I'm like, well, that's your estate. You know, it, it doesn't matter if you're like you said, Warren Buffett. You need to keep as much of your money as possible, and without an estate planner, a tax lawyer to advise you, and a real CPA, you don't really have the tools you need to do what you need to do with your money. Um, you know, I, I, so I talk to people so about, you know, the Augusta rule or, or conservation easements or, you know, any number of tax strategies, um, you know, using, using whole life or something like that. Everything has its place, but everyone's got these all or nothing ideas, like particularly with whole life. You know, a lot of them have been told mm-hmm. by their, their tax strategists, tax strategists that, oh, whole life is a horrible product, you know, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. Those, that To me, that's such a wrong-headed approach. It might be a horrible problem for some people, but more than likely, your tax strategist doesn't know how to employ it correctly. So talk to us a little bit about some of those strategies and, um, and just kind of your, your philosophy and what tools you think people should be more knowledgeable about. Well, you brought up a lot of great points there. I, I'd like to zoom out first and then come way down the ladder, if that's, that's okay. That's perfect. Uh, I'll keep it brief. Um, so the, the the first and most fundamental question I think is helpful here, and that is what do you truly want your money to do for you? Because where you keep your money makes it do different things. The simplest example is a 401k is different than a savings account or a shoebox under your mattress. Right. Uh, the, the key questions there are, what do you think about taxes in the future? What do you, what do you believe about the future of the market? What do you think uh, you need your money for? Is it for kids' college? Is it for uh, an x-ray machine? Is it for uh, something that you'd like to eventually use as a way to get out of the practice and sell it someday? Do you want there to be contingencies on that money, like penalties if you access it too soon? Mm -hmm. Uh, Do you want there to be any kind of creditor protection if someone sues your business or you personally? Uh, So what do you want? And, And where you put your money makes it act differently. I realize these are just such plain and simple concepts, but at the core level, many of us jump into the SEP IRA because our taxpayer, how did you say that? Your, <laughs> Ta- your taxpayer your versus tax-, tax strategist. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. You know, the, the taxpayer mentality is let's get you the lowest taxes this year possible. And by the way, that is a good goal to lower this year's taxes in every legal way possible. That's a good goal. A CFP, or I think, a, as you said, a tax strategist would be interested in not just this year's tax deductions, but how can we lower legally lower your taxes over your lifetime and even into three generations into the mm-hmm. future? You know, the Gloria Steinem quote comes to mind, um, uh, rich people plan for three generations and poor people plan for Saturday night. Absolutely. And that's true Absolutely. with our taxes, but that's true with our money too, isn't it? You know, if we're always just spending... Uh, on the latest shiny object, whether that's a, a non-fungible token uh, or a cryptocurrency or a new Bentley, uh, you know, or whatever else, if we're not thinking long range, that's going to be a problem uh, when it comes to our future selves. There's a funny uh, uh, Simpsons scene where Homer is drinking like mayonnaise and vodka uh, or something, and Marge is like. Aren't, aren't you concerned that that's going to be bad for your, for your future self? And he says, ha, future Homer sucks to be that guy. And it's just sort of a reminder that not all of us are thinking long range, at least not Homer Simpson, I guess. But Absolutely. the best of us, if we take a moment, is, is really asking ourselves, what do we truly want our money to do with, uh, for us over our lifetime rather than us always having to work for the money? It's a very good point. Very good point. So one of the... Um, one of the, the topics that you suggested um, whenever we spoke uh, really, really piqued my interest. Um, 
It's why or tax deferred retirement accounts time bombs. And I, I believe I, I know exactly where you're going with that one because, you know, in, in, in my world view, um, the dollar will always be worth less tomorrow and taxes will always be higher. Um, and, you know, yeah. we might have little spikes where there's reversals on that. But I think particularly with the amount of debt that we've created as a nation and, and folks, if you haven't seen or read anything about debt as money or money being debt, you need to, um, because until you go down that hole and begin to understand the fractional reserve and the way that money is valued and, the, uh, and, and what fiat currency truly is, you will never understand how to manage your money. That's so true. Uh, there's a great book out there to, to, to reference that. Uh, it's called Debt, The First 5,000 Years by David Graeber. F- the first 5,000 years. That should be a wake-up call that mm-hmm. banks have a grip on human civilization. And that's not a tw- tinfoil hat thing. That's just the truth. That yeah. banks go clear back, as far back as we have religion, as clear back as we have you know, parenting. I don't know. I, I can't think of too many other human markers than banking. And that's a surprising statement, right? Banking, um, banking influenced religion greatly. That's why the, uh, the early yeah. Christian oh, religions yeah. had anti-usury laws um, because, oh, yeah. uh, you know, not, not to get into too deep of a hole here, but because the, the Jewish bankers, um, they, they mm-hmm. wanted to cripple the Jewish bankers. And, and, and mm-hmm. that was, you know, it, gosh, I don't want to get in too deep to that, but we'll just put it this way. Well, I'll tell you, throughout, I'll, throughout oh, history, yeah, people have used hate to organize other people. That's so true. I'll just leave that yeah, well, <laughs> I'll leave that right. Well, there. and and I'll, I'll I'll tell you two quick stories related to this, and then we'll get right back to some solutions, maybe for your listeners as well. Um, but I went to school in in Texas, and I grew up in the Midwest. So driving across the uh, the moonscape of Texas was a little different for this Midwestern boy. And I noticed that I'd go through these small little Texas towns. First, it would be the uh, first, it would be the bank. I'd see that. That was usually the biggest building or so, Absolutely. close to the bu- biggest building. Then then came the church, and then there was the bar. And I kind of thought of it in like in that order. First, we go to the bank because we're desperate for cash. They say no to the loan. You know, Banks are pretty good at saying no, and we need the money the most. Mark Twain there. Uh, and then we went to church to pray, and then we went to the bar to drink our sorrows away. That was sort of the order in which uh, most of these towns would go. And that was sort of my experience. I went to college in Texas and got six figures of student loan debt uh, for our three. My wife and I, we had three private school degrees between us. Uh, and I felt like I married two women in college, my beautiful wife and Sally May. She was along for the ride. Absolutely. And you're right. Without, without debt, there is no such thing as money. Without debt, there is no such thing as money. And my only proposition here is to say, who is sitting behind your banker's desk? And I don't care if you paid cash for every piece of equipment in your dental office. I don't care if you pay cash for your cars and your vacations. You're still in the banking business. And here's why. Either you pay interest to the bank, cars, vacations, you know, home repairs, business equipment, or you pay cash and you pass up interest you could have earned on that money had you not bought that thing, whatever it was. In fact, we finance everything we buy. And so one of the biggest questions is who is doing your banking? That's one of, the, uh, that's one of those questions of, hey, what do I want my money to do for me? Well, it'll be in the banking business. You're already in two businesses. You're in your dental practice, for example, and you're in the banking business. And the, the only question is whose side of the banker's desk are you sitting on? So I, we do, we do specialize in some, uh, yeah, yeah. It's, it's one of those small hinges that swing the big door in your financial life, Christopher. And that's one reason why our firm at Lake Growth has decided to really drill in, sorry for the bad pun there, but drill into the, the concepts of self-banking and to become our own source of financing. It's a tremendous strategy that, that opens up a lot of opportunity to make our businesses more competitive, to make our financial life more sane because we're living in pretty insane times right now. Uh, and so it's given our clients a lot of uh, resolve that they can meet their financial goals without taking a bunch of unnecessary risk. Absolutely. You know, I, I love a lot of what you're saying there. I want you to unpack it a little bit more. Um, and I'll just tell you, and I think that this is going to bring a smile to your face. Um, I am our household CEO and my wife is our household CFO. And that yeah. is how we act in our duties in our household. We believe our household should be run as a business and it is it has stood us in very, very good stead. 
you know, it enabled me to get to a point where I could retire by the age of 45. Now, am I retired? Eh, I don't have to work. I enjoy working. In fact, I enjoy working a lot more now that I don't have to work. But, you know, that's it's great. just one of those things. But I think everyone should view their household that way, because if they do, then, you know, exactly like what you, you were talking about here, um, there, there's, a, there's a term I just love, and it's cost of opportunity. Now, you, you brought up something I'd never thought about before. Paying cash has its own cost of opportunity, and that's absolutely brilliant. Mm-hmm. So expound upon mm-hmm. that a little bit, unpack the things that you're talking about, and then let's go ahead and hit on those time bombs. Well, sure. Yeah. Yeah. So there, there is a cost to paying cash, and I think we've made it clear, but it's, it's unbelievable when you start to do the math on that. You know, Even if you just buy your cars with cash, let's say you buy, on average, the average person's going to buy about 10 to 12 cars over their lifetime, 30 grand a car. That's hundreds of thousands of just pure dollars, and then put a in, a nominal interest rate on that. You know what you could have invested that money at over your lifetime. That's could be half a million to a million dollars just to buy your cars with cash. Gone, just gone. Absolutely. Then throw a couple of kid college degrees in there, and you know anything, a couple of vacations, hopefully, plus your retirement. For goodness sakes, uh, so it's literally millions of dollars of lost opportunity just because of how we bought stuff. Okay, so. That's one cipher you might say, or one siphon uh, away from our wealth reserve. Another mm-hmm. massive siphon away from our wealth reserve is the IRS. Uh, Christopher, unfortunately, the biggest inheritor uh, who's, who's going to receive the most from you over our lifetime is not your wife or spouse, not your children, but the IRS. There's a reason why they call it the IRS. You put those two words together, the IRS, you get the word theirs because mm-hmm. it's all theirs. All right. <laughs> I love uh, it. And Tax-deferred plans uh, are a ticking tax time bomb, and it's a lot like putting off a root canal. You know, do you put off things that you don't want, uh, like a root canal? The worse it gets, the worse you want to go in and fix it. But the worse, the longer you wait, the worse it gets. It's like right. a downward spiral. So, you know, when when I look at the future, I don't know about you, but in most of the clients I meet with over Zoom or over the telephone, uh, we'll have a full financial analysis. And I don't presume to know everyone's tax situation. And I don't presume to know the future. I mean, my batteries and my crystal ball died a long time ago. So I don't have any claim to the future here. But when I look at the deficits and I look at, you know, unpaid wars and, uh, uh, you know, social programs, et cetera, I don't see a world where we don't have higher taxes. In fact, they're already here. Yeah, they're already here. And now we even have, even if Congress doesn't act, which you know, as of late March 2021, when we're recording this, they're talking about eliminating the 1031 exchange on real estate, changing capital gains to income tax, raising the tax thresholds on income earners over 200 well, grand and, as an individual. Don't forget the death tax too. They're bringing that death back. tax. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. 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 So the estate tax will be a, a, a re-implemented. I believe it'll eventually come down. Uh, Social Security is now going to be exposed to taxes up to whatever your income is. So there's a there's a mark on your back, and the IRS has their name on your 401k, IRA, 403b, SEP IRA, any kind of defined. A qualified plan that you might have set up through your practice, dental practice, or IRAs outside of your dental practice, anything in their book. Mm-hmm. You know, if the if the government creates a problem, for example, onerous t- taxation, and then they create a solution to the problem, like a tax deferred plan, don't you just have at least a little bit suspicious uh, inkling that maybe you're being manipulated in this whole arrangement? What are, what that are the to most me is, words in the world? I'm from the IRS. I'm here to help you. (laughs) Yeah. 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 You're so, you're so right. So there's, there's a, there's a lot of places you can put your money that are, that have been around since before the IRS, since before the income tax system uh, that are completely legal and responsible places that can even help your dental practice or your, just your personal life in many ways. Absolutely. And you brought up whole, you, you brought up whole life insurance. I'll take a few minutes to just explain one of those tools Please. that helps solve the tax issue, the banking issue. Okay. Okay. Um, so whole life insurance has been around since before the U.S. Constitution, at least as far back as I could research. Uh, and even before that, if you go to other countries, but this, this, um, this contract is a private 
contract between you and the insurance company. So uh, it was not written into the tax law. You know, uh, I was looking the other day and the, the 401k was written into the tax law. And the first 401k was issued in 1981. So do the math. The, the, the 401k is not even old enough to retire yet. That's how young the 401k experiment is. And it's just sort of thought like it's, you know, like it was created on the eighth day or something like that. Right. But it's fairly new. And we're all in that grand experiment. Now contrast that with whole life insurance, which has 200 plus years of history and it has and, in, and still enjoys incredible tax advantages. It's, it's set up to put money in after tax, like a Roth IRA, and then it grows on a tax deferred basis. And you never get taxed if you've designed it correctly on the principal or the gains. Right. The tax law today says there's no taxes on policy loans or withdrawals of cash value. So you which, can withdraw the entire amount being of your own banker. That's right. Yes. Yeah, exactly. So, so there, there, there are some rather complex ways that these things can be structured. Um, for instance, um, on the sale of a business, um, one of the things that you can do is you can actually take the entire sales amount and you can actually have a loan from another company that gives you the entire sales amount. They take that sales amount and they put it into a tax deferred um, program. I hate to call it a trust, but you know, you know the vehicle I'm talking about. And then you actually take out a term life insurance policy on that so that when the, whenever the trust matures, the money that you would normally pay in taxes is actually paid for entirely by the life insurance policy. But, you know, these are vehicles that most people, even, you know, everyone was told. You're of an age with me. Everyone was told when they were kids, you wanted to be a doctor, a lawyer, or an astronaut because those were success. That's not true. You go downtown. I don't see a single lawyer's name on the tallest buildings. I don't see a doctor's name on the tallest buildings. I don't see an astronaut's name. I see banks' names. That's a really good point. Yeah. And, and the reason is because they know about these vehicles and they use them. So talk to us a little bit about that and, and, and how someone could effectively pay no taxes and get 100% of the value of a practice sale if they follow these very specific guidelines. On the, on, there's so many applications and it can range from the brain dead simple to the infinitely complex. So for a podcast, I'm going to keep mostly on the simple side of this, but you're exactly right. There's some very very cool ways to eliminate the taxes on the sale of a business, uh, to work into a trust situation where you've got some significant tax savings over multiple generations. Uh, but let's keep it, um, if, if you don't mind, for at least to the beginning, Absolutely. I'll keep it sort of to the um, simple side. So if, if we've got a whole life policy, it does a few things really well. I mean, it's, it's not a cure-all and it's not a perfect instrument for everybody. So I'll quickly mention that you don't want to just jump into one of these because you heard it on a podcast, even one as cool as the Dear Doc podcast. You still want to sit down and chat with a professional who knows what your situation is. So, And, and we are uh, but once, super cool. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> so there's a couple of things that this can do. It's sort of a Swiss army knife. Uh, for one, you put cash into the policy and it's tax-free for the rest of your life. The IRS tax law says you can get the money out with no taxes due. So that's number one. Number two, it can be uh, scheduled and grows on a predictable and even guaranteed basis. So your cash value, the money you can use and spend on this side of heaven, grows on a predictable and guaranteed basis. So that's the second piece. By the way, I'm doing a TGIF acronym here to keep track of all this. So tax all advantages right. and even tax-free is T guarantees every year it grows on a guaranteed schedule and the gains are locked in last year when i made money on my policies they can't take that away if you know someone sneezes the wrong way on wall street this year you know it's guaranteed to grow every single year and then uh, the third piece is it is life insurance so insurance i t g i f uh, it is life insurance. So I can uh, set up an estate sale. I can set up a, a liquidation of my real estate. I can set up uh, a, a multiple gift, multiple uh, multiples gift to my kids or my wife with no income tax due, by the way, on that. So it's a tax income tax-free gift to my beneficiaries, a favorite charity, you know, a business partner, whatever I want to do there. 
And the last piece, and to the point of banking, it is a way for us to become our own source of F, financing. It can be our own source of financing. So you can use the cash value, Christopher, to borrow against the life insurance cash value and buy things like cars or you know uh, dental chairs or whatever else you might want to use it for. And the policy will continue to grow for us as if we had not taken the loan. So case in point, if you've got $100,000 of cash value, let's say you borrow out $30,000 to go buy a car or something, that year you'll still get guarantees and dividends paid on the full 100,000 bucks as if there was no loan against the policy. Now to me, that beats paying cash because Absolutely. it overcomes that problem of opportunity cost. I love it. Absolutely love it. Okay, so I asked you a question earlier and then you and I haired off and we had some fun talking about a couple of other things. And um, I'm glad that we brought those up because frankly, a lot of people don't know about them. Um, Talk to me about these interest deferred retirement accounts. Why are they time bombs? Yeah, well, I mean, think about it this way. There's a, there's a number in your 401k or IRA. You look at that number. You might log in and see it every single day. Uh, and it feels good to see a million bucks sitting in your 401k, let's say. But what is that? Is that really yours? It's a surprise, according to the Society of Actuaries, when people learn that a good third of your money is going to end up in the hands of the IRS. All right. So uh, there's, there's a, a mark on the back of your 401k, IRA, SEP IRA, uh, 403b, even your self-directed IRAs, where they're going to take a good portion of that money and call it theirs. If you had a million dollars and tried to get it in your pocket tomorrow, it would look suspiciously like 600 grand after tax. Okay. Now I could go through the math on how guaranteed the IRS will have a higher rate of return on your money than you do, uh, which we could get into if you wanted to. But the math works out there where the IRS gets a greater uh, return on your money than you will. But I, I guess I just make mention to most people, what is your understanding of the future of taxes in your personal life? Most people will ask me that question. Well, Mark, I, I believe, Mark, that taxes are going to go up in the future. And then I'll say, hey, so tell me about where you're saving money today. And they'll say, well, I'm, in, I'm saving money in my 401k. I'm maxing out my 401k. And I'll say, great work, incredible job living within your means. That is the hardest job in the financial universe. Everything else is secondary to living within your means. Um, but what sense does it make? I'll ask this as politely as I can, you know, because they're doing a great job. They're just trying to get by. They got kids to raise and a business to run. But I'll say to them, hey, what's important about putting money into a tax deferred vehicle if you believe that taxes are going to be higher in the future? And many of them will say, well, Mark, I've never really thought about it. And that's okay. You know, they're not sitting there Friday night, waking up in a cold sweat, wondering why their tax rates are going to be higher in the future. They're just trying to get their kids through high school or whatever. Uh, but it's important once you've had that aha moment to decide for yourself, do you want to change that? Back to the original question, what do you want your money to do for you? To me, I don't want a partner in my retirement, you know, at the IRS. I'm not interested in leaving the IRS more than I'm leaving my kids, which is also a guaranteed possibility. It's a guaranteed actuality that if I have an inherited IRA leaving to my two children, the IRS will be the greatest beneficiary of that IRA. I didn't work that hard to leave the, the vast majority of my wealth to the IRS. Okay, I'm off my soapbox. Does that kind of get to that question of tax deferred time bombs? It does. It really does. You know, so what is the rate of return that investors can expect from their stock market portfolio? Yeah. Uh, well, okay. So a lot of people say, well, I'll just take that money and I'll put it in the stock market. Yeah. Because there's no yeah, volatility well, there at all. No, no volatility. Yeah. Well, you bring up a great word. The word volatility is a very special word. Uh, and people discount it, uh, I think, because they say, oh, well, it'll always bounce back. Yeah. It'll always I, come back. Mark, I don't like exciting things. I'm a really boring guy. I want boring and certain. <laughs> I don't need to gamble. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. there's, a lot, there's a lot that's unsure in this world right now. And we've had three major market corrections since the year 2000. Three major, like upwards of 50% market corrections just since the year 2000. Uh, my question for you, for the audience is, are we done yet? 
is that the end of volatility? I don't think so. No, I think I'll, we've got more craziness to come. So, yeah. so that you know where I'm coming from here. In um, September of 2019, the Wall Street Journal read an, uh, ran an article. And that article was that the Fed had just released a white paper. And that white paper was discussing the possibilities and possible effects of negative interest rates on the US economy. So that made me start thinking. And I looked at it and I said, okay, well, why would they do that? I mean, obviously, there's a correction they think they won't be able to do any kind of easement on, right? And so I started researching with their unemployment rate. I started researching how high the stock market was. I started looking at interest rates and how low they were. And I had a sudden epiphany moment. The only time they've ever looked like that in history is right before the Great Depression. And that hmm. scared me straight. I pulled every cent I had out of the stock market. And I went and I listened to my financial advisor and I put it where the hell they told me to so I could ride out the storm that I thought was coming. Now, luckily, and I also sold 70% of my, my practice and became debt-free. That like February mm -hmm. 16th, I will remember that day for the rest of my life, I was debt-free. Now, nice. after I did that, I took that money and I sat on it. And when this crash from COVID came, I purchased a second practice at pennies on the dollar. I, I purchased a, um, a practice that was collecting a, $1.5 million for 400000 And so, which is a wow. huge, huge great. That's awesome. And then I sold 70% of that one to the people I partnered with. And so I'm, I'm, I'm pretty good now, you know? You're, you're, you're thinking different, weren't you? I, you know, I you, you weren't just, uh, you weren't just letting the thing ride, right? Absolutely. And, and, and that's the thing is I think that a lot of people don't realize that worse is coming. And um, I don't want to sound like an alarmist, but I mean, when the horse, the, the horsemen of the apocalypse are freaking galloping through your front yard, and if no one sees this, then they're not looking. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So talk to us a little yeah. bit about that. And, and, and I've just made, made some bold statements. I know that you probably can't make, but um, <laughs> I, I don't see you. I don't see you shaking your head. No, that's right. Well, I personally only invest or speculate with money I can afford to lose. Uh, anything else, I don't call it investing. I call that saving. Right. And I put my money in places that don't go down. If I call that saving, that's, that's putting money in something that does not go down. Okay. Uh, and if I have money in something that could go down, I'm going to call that investing or speculating. Uh, so I agree with you. I think there's, there's incredible, we're living in incredible times. And to think it's all going to be all right or, you know, this has happened before, or we'll just bounce back from it. I this think a lot of times- never happened I, before. <laughs> no, no, no. It, it, and especially, I think, in some of the, the audience, the, some of your audience, their, their dental practice has, has never gone through something like this before, at least not in the last hundred years. Right. And so I, I look for financial institutions that have already done this before. And life insurance companies have been around through pandemics. You know, okay. So they were actually paying out dividends and profits in the 1918 pandemic, mm -hmm. uh, and before that, through a civil war, okay? So if you feel like that might be coming, look to insurance companies that have made it through other civil wars. What about a crash in the dollar? Insurance companies existed before the US dollar did. That should say something about the permanence of that particular contract. What is insurance? It is a contract. What is a contract? Well, I guess you could say it's sort of the basis of civilization, if you really drill all the way down to it, the basis of civilization, if we lose the contract, well, we'd lose every business we own, every rental property we have, and you know every insurance contract we own. Now, I guess I'd be more concerned about firewood and ammunition at that point, uh, but that's a, really, that's a really foundational premise that we have a contract with a private party. That's why I look at the life insurance industry as a good, safe store of value, uh, regardless of the currency that we might be living under, you know, when we need the cash or whatever we have in the future, crypto dollars <laughs> or Spanish pesos or whatever we have next. Yeah, vod vodka and ammunition, I think is probably what's Yeah, man, right on. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll have my cash value dividend in vodka, please. Thank you. Uh, on ice. So uh, I will mention one quick thing to your original question. Uh, okay. So I'll back away from the apocalypse for a minute. Um, the <laughs> last 30 slow. years. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Don't turn around. Yeah. Uh, so the last 30 years, I'm going to give you a, a total pop quiz. I have no idea if you know, uh, it doesn't matter if you get it right or wrong. Uh, there's okay. no grade here, but what do you think the real investor returns 
Okay, the real investor returns of the stock market over the last 30 years, according to third-party research. What would you guess the real real investor returns? If you were all in on equities, so no bonds, okay. what do you think right. the return was? 3.25. How did you get that number so close? That was scarily accurate. Yeah, it's 3.8, well, I think. I just, I just so, figured with the rate of inflation that it had to be about 3.25. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. Isn't that interesting? And and I, I have told clients before that over the long term, it's almost impossible to beat right. that mean. Absolutely, yep. and that's and that's a, that's a, that's in value value leveraged is the thing is you know that's that's accounting for inflation. What they don't report to you whenever you look at Tweety Brown and you look at Van, Vantage or one of these other mutual funds or whatever, they'll always say they have like a 12.9 percent. They don't talk about the management funds that go into that, that come out of that, and they or fees that come out of that, and they also don't talk about value averaging whenever you look at the cost of keeping your money in the market when you're looking at inflation. So well, yeah. So true. So what's, what is your well, average and, and, on uh, what is your average on life insurance? Well, um, I'll say this first. Uh, sort of like labels on financial professionals, fiduciary, CFP, averages also mean nothing. Although right. I carry those labels, and I do, we can talk average rates of return. The average return is meaningless. Uh, let me give you a quick example. Let's say you gave me ten grand, and I put it in, into the market. I invest it in the market, and I double your money. 100% growth. Okay. Mm -hmm. 10 grand goes up to 20,000 bucks. Year two, you're so pleased with me. You keep, you know, investing with me. Year two, unfortunately, I lost you half of your life savings there. Half of 100 grand is back down or 200 grand back down to your original 100 grand. Okay. So we started with 100 grand. Two years later, you ended with 100 grand. We went up 200. We dropped down to 100. We went up 100%. We dropped negative 50. If you do the average on that, that's an average rate of return of 25%. Absolutely. And that is what mutual funds are allowed to advertise. And now, do you feel any wealthier after that two-year process? <laughs> Not a I bit. I didn't think so. Not a yeah. bit. Volatility is what wipes out your gains. So you rightly pointed to volatility. Um, the, the real return or the compound annual growth rate or the internal rate of return are better metrics than the average rate of return. But right. I think it's scary to say, but the average return uh, is pitifully small in the stock market. And many people come out with less money. And the only reason their 401k is up is because they're the ones contributing to it. Okay. Now, I'll just mention this. You brought up fees. And the Department of Labor says a 1% asset center management fee over 30 years will wipe out a third of your life savings. A third to fees wow. for passive index funds or other junk that's in the 401k. Now, I'll have one more question that I'll hush, I promise. Okay. But how much, how much, we talked earlier about how the IRS is a partner in your 401k or right. IRA. We've talked about that. How much did they pony up for their side of the fee? Oh, man. We had an agreement that I would pay it all. Yeah. <laughs> Isn't that generous of you, my friend? Me, yeah, that's awesome. to me at the time. <laughs> well, it's, yeah, it's, it's surprising that um, the fee is a lot higher than 1% when you realize that you don't have all of your million bucks or whatever the 401k is. It's, right. it's, it's a much higher fee in that regard. And, and the 3.8%, the by the way, that the, um, the third-party research firm Dalbar came to the conclusion that over 30 years, the quantitative analysis of investor behavior study that recently came out and comes out every year. It's no big change, no big surprise to me after I've read a few of these. But Dalbar's report says 3.8% is the average return before taxes, before taxes. So our real return is not even keeping up with inflation when you factor in taxes. And that that troubles me because it's, again, it's it's the it's it's the the phrase what we do around here you know yeah. we're all supposed to get this 401k it's it's the adult thing to do it's what we're just told to, we're handed this 401k or this IRA or our CPA gave us the SEP IRA promising us all these wonderful tax deductions and oh by the way he'll be retired before you start to see those taxes in retirement so there's there's a, a lot of people pushing you into things that are not in your best interest our job is to hopefully push back against the frontiers of ignorance and, and give yourself the best options and the best opportunity to survive. Now, we've talked taxes and we've talked market volatility, 
I'm going to share just one other idea on this life insurance thing, because I think it bears repeating. You can access the cash value in this policy for any reason. Now, in the event that we go through another crisis like we did last spring, and Christopher, you were, you were smartly ready to pounce on opportunities. And I don't know your financial situation, but I bet some liquidity helped you there, right? Having Absolutely. some access to cash got you that, that deal. So liquid access to cash is one of the features of whole life insurance if it's designed the bank on yourself way. So without having to beg a bank, without having to scratch together your P&L statements from the last three years, you can access the cash value in the policy via a, a withdrawal or a, a loan. Within about a week, the money's directly deposited in your bank account. And you can use that to help your business thrive or even I, buy other businesses like, like you. So my, my end cost ended being about um, $145,000 after closing costs and everything for my portion of the 30% that I retained. Um, so I may or may not have taken out a loan against a whole life policy to do that and then immediately paid it back from the gains. Just maybe. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Just, just saying, you know, hashtag just, just saying that's awesome. Yeah. Well, you're, you're in a long line of successful business owners that have done that. Um, you know, I've got plenty of clients testimonials there, but famous folks too, you know, JC Penney through the great depression took a loan from his life insurance. Walt Disney took a loan to help construct Disneyland. Uh, the list goes on presidential candidates, congressmen and women, there's a reason why in 2021, the recent budget reconciliation further protects life insurance into the generations to come. Uh, so they keep doing this, guys. The, the public servants have lots of money in life insurance cash value. They have Leisure. to disclose their balance sheets when they run for office. These are the tools of the rich. And, you know, it's... Um some of them are really well-kept secrets and it's the reason that the rich stay rich. And it's the reason that um, so many other people don't become wealthy, even though they have these great jobs that um, produce wonderful, wonderful income. Um, they're just putting things into the wrong vehicles. Yeah. Yeah. You're so, you're so right. There's a there's, there's a, it comes down to the question of where do you want to put your money now that you've earned it? Now that you've been able to live within your means, the question is, what do you want your money to do for you? I'll keep returning to that mantra, but there's a checklist we have. We help our clients go through about two dozen different characteristics, attributes, but I just say, hey, if nothing else, take half an hour, journal entry, whatever you want to do, and just come up with your own special list. Pretend you're Pope of money for the day. You know, if you could create a brand new financial instrument that does everything you want it to do, and then just write it all down and let's see if it exists and let's see if it's legal. And then, then you can go about putting your exists and legal. Uh, money where you that's want. A good, that's yeah. a good caveat right there. Because <laughs> I guarantee it yeah. exists. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yep. <laughs> now, the, the rate, I hear the rate of return on cocaine is fantastic this time of year. <laughs> no. Yeah. So, well, hey, I, I love it. I think, uh, you know, if, 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 we, if we could find a, a, a combination of safe and predictable and liquid, and lucrative, easy, and, and fun. I mean, that's the dental practice and whole life insurance side by side. You know, it's like a barbell. You know, you put both sides together and you've got some incredible opportunities there. Absolutely. And with the income potential of a dental practice and with the liquidity wealth reserves of a, of a life insurance policy, you, you've, you um, balance the risk asset, your business, with the risk-free asset, your life insurance policy, You've got yourself a great portfolio with just those two. You know, I think one of the points that's not made nearly enough is that um, although a dental practice is a great source of income, it is actually, and, and, and a lot of dentists think of their practice as, as an investment. It is actually one of the riskiest investments in your entire portfolio. And, and that that's is right. because it's depending on these as soon as you can't use these anymore, it's worthless. It's valueless. And we know all of us are going to get older. But what we don't know is what's going to happen to us in between the things that we aren't expecting for, that we can't plan for, accidents, um, you know, uh, traumatic brain injury. There's, you yep. know, my, my wife is a veterinarian and um, she likes to say that if, if she lost the use of her hands, she could always teach as long as her mind was sharp. Um, and, and, and I suppose in a sense that we as dentists can do that as well, although definitely 
definitely we couldn't teach the trade that we have. But that practice is worthless as soon as you lose the ability to do dentistry. And so I would caution the dentists out there who think of their practice as their biggest investment, that their biggest investment should not be something as they go into retirement that has so much chance of total loss of value. So true. Well, the, the, my, my respect is with anyone who's built a successful business. Uh, it's obviously clear that you were smart enough and skilled enough to do that. Uh, not many businesses make it. So for those that are listening that are running a successful, profitable business, you're, you've got my respect and you've got, I think, the, the weight of the country on your shoulders. Uh, in fact, I, if you kind of read between the lines of the updates to the tax law that seem to be coming um, down the pipe this year, it appears that the, the, the particular people who are going to be targeted are the high-earning uh, service professionals people who uh, are in the field of everyone listening to this you know if you're if you're an entrepreneur and you're an, an in the s quadrant as Kiyosaki would talk about you know not an employee not a not an investor but a service professional a small business owner with your, with your name hanging on the shingle so to speak you will pay more taxes per dollar earned than any other person in the next tax law whatever comes down the pipe so I think part of why it's so important to listen to Christopher's podcast and to listen to similar strategies uh, that uh, similar podcasts is, is that it gives you the eyes to see what's coming and to plan accordingly. If you want to change your tax situation, you have to change the facts of your situation. You have to become an investor. You have to do what Christopher did and start doing some, some deals on top of using your fingers and hands and, and uh, your mind even. Uh, to to run that practice because you're right. Someday we're going to exit everything in our life. I mean, that's just the way of life, you know. So, what are you doing today to build up assets on the balance sheet of your business so that you can sell it someday? What are you doing to protect that business and brand so that you can have something to sell to the next person or the next generation? In fact, I'll I'll just quickly um, mention that these life insurance contracts can be assets on the balance sheet of the business, which build up a contingency pool for your own needs. Yeah. For the next dental chair or marketing campaign or whatever you got to do direct mail, whatever, but it's also something you can use as a golden parachute for yourself or an asset to be sold with the business when it's time to sell. Uh, so it's a, it's like I said, Swiss army knife, it does kind of work in a lot of venues, but you know, the, the key here is to think beyond just your fingers, you know, the, the tools that help bring in the revenue. Cause you're so right. Uh, there's nothing guaranteed about us being able to continue our practice. If it's all dependent on on us, uh, it's, it may not last forever. I love it. So I'm going to end with a with a, uh, a a little story here or a, a joke, really, uh, about statistics, just to bring home, bring, give us give us a little bit of a lighter side because we've been talking about some pretty dark yeah. stuff here financially. So this insurance company was trying to hire an actuary. And so they put out a, an ad and it said that they needed somebody who had a great facility with mathematics. And so a mathematician comes in and they ask him a question. He says, um, so what is 22 divided by seven? He said, well, that's pi. He said, yeah, but what number is it? It's 3.14. Okay. Okay. Great. And so they get another guy who comes in. He says, well, you know, I have a great facility with math. I'm actually a mechanical engineer. And they asked him, okay, well, what is 22 divided by seven? He said, well, it's, um, hold on, let me see. And he pulls out a slide rule and he does some, some math. And he said, it's 3.142857714 rounded. And they said, well, that's, that's very good. Thank you. Thank you. Wait in the other room. And so the next guy comes in and they say, so what do you do? And he says, well, I'm a statistician. And uh, they say, okay, well, what's 22 divided by seven? He says, well, what do you want it to be? <laughs> yes. <laughs> so my friend, my, one of my engineer friends told me that joke. <laughs> well, I love that. Um, I think that's really true. You know, st statistics are what we want them to be. If, if uh, numbers don't lie, but people do, I think is the old phrase. Well, what uh, was, and, you, uh, you're, you like Samuel Clemens a lot. What, what did he say about statistics? Lies, damn lines of statistics. Oh man, remind me. Oh, he, he said uh, there's there's three kinds of lies. There's lies, oh. there's damn lies, and there's statistics. And and there's statistics. That's right. <laughs> well, and you mentioned engineers. I'll throw in a joke too for for your listeners who stayed what? to the end. 
you get a little prize. Uh, so if you're an engineer type like me, uh, or if you hang out with the cool kids who are engineers, um, I've, I've been told that uh, arguing with an engineer is like wrestling with a pig in the mud. After a few hours, you realize the pig likes it. <laughs> that is very true. That is very true. All right. Um, Mark, how can they get in touch with you if they would like to talk to you a little bit more about um, some of these tax strategies and about what they can do to better their situation and, and plan for the future? Well, um, if you want to hear more about these or other strategies that we've helped our clients set up for their practice, you can go to bit.ly slash quick B-O-Y. That's B-I-T dot L-Y slash quick B as in Bravo, O as in Oscar, Y as in Yo-Yo. Uh, quick boy. That, that's a quick bank on yourself. That's what that stands for. And I'd love to chat. We do a 15-minute consult. It's also a link to our podcast, which is not your average financial podcast. Uh, but that quick website is bit.ly slash quick boy. As, as much as it's connected. not your average podcast, folks, that's actually the name. So yeah, that is the name of the show. Yeah, not your average financial, financial podcast. <laughs> so um, if you wouldn't mind, go ahead and send me that um, that link and I will place it in the description of this podcast uh, so that our listeners can uh, can get in touch with you and hopefully get themselves into a favorable position when they retire. Fantastic. It's been a privilege being with you. And I got to just quickly share with your listeners, everybody stop what you're doing right now and go give Christopher a five-star review. They matter. And your words encourage him to keep doing the great show he's doing. So take a moment. I know he may share this occasionally, but I want to reemphasize, get out there and give him some great kudos on the interwebs. Share this on social with him, you know, with and get that five-star review so he feels like, you know, he's doing something important, which he is. So I'd, I'd say everybody just go out there and get that five-star review for Christopher. I, I appreciate it, Mark. Um, guys, thank you for uh, joining us again for the Dear Doc podcast. You have wasted another hour of your life listening to the sound of my voice. Congratulations on that. Um, we hope to see you here again soon. This is Doc Huffpower signing off. Thanks for listening to the Dear Doc podcast your source for the business and legal questions associated with your dental practice. Don't forget to subscribe to the Dear Doc podcast on all major platforms.